Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, how are you doing? Good, yeah. I'm well, thank you. Um, may I please have uh, some onion rings, uh, fried okra, I'm Helen Holliman, editor-in-chief of Munchies, and I'm sitting in my car at Top Notch, a burger drive-in in Austin. We're waiting on some fried okra and onion rings. I think that's it. If you're just tuning in, welcome to our third episode in our Austin series, where we're going to be exploring what's left of old Austin and digging into the booming city that it's becoming. Thank you. Top Notch was made famous in one of the legendary scenes in Richard Linklater's film, Dazed and Confused. It's the one where Matthew McConaughey is hanging out at the drive-in and falls in love with a hot redhead. Today, this place is almost playing itself, down to the Dazed and Confused soundtrack that's blasting over the restaurant speakers. On today's episode, we're talking to Lewis Black, who recently directed a documentary on Linklater called Richard Linklater, Dream is Destiny. Linklater is easily one of the most important Texas filmmakers of our time and one of the first people to capture the slacker vibe of old Austin and put Austin on the culture map. Lewis Black is a tour de force. He co-founded the Austin Chronicle and South by Southwest. He's watched South by and this town experience massive changes since the festival started 29 years ago. Mr. Black is a busy man, so we connected over Skype to talk about pre-South by Austin and why he dreamt up the festival. We also discussed his friendship with Linklater, the new doc, and how that iconic scene at Top Notch came about. You have been a very important person in shaping how the city um, has changed over the years. But kind of first off, tell me about what it was like for you. Let's go back to the 70s. What was Austin like? When, when I first came to Austin, I came originally in, in 1974, but just for a few months, leaving in early 75. And then I moved here permanently in 76. And from the very beginning, it was like, it was pretty much, it was great. It was a small town. It had an amazing music scene even then. Um, and, and it always was showing a lot of great films. It didn't really have a big filmmaking scene. But on campus, they were programming, a, a, you know, it was one of the great uh, cities in the country for programming, you know, young German cinema, the new Australian cinema, or, you know, classics or the French new wave. So it was on top of what was happening cinematically, as well as an enormous amount of retrospective film. So when I first came, it really was like, um, you know, a very special place. It was very small. Uh, people in the community cared about film and music, all kind of knew each other because there weren't that many. Um, it was a terrible food town at the time. I mean, it didn't have, you know, it had Tex-Mex. And if you went out of town, you'd get great barbecue. But um, there wasn't really a diversity of food. But it was, uh, you know, it was really cool. And then what's really important is that uh, in 76, I was in the 
English department, but then in 77, I joined the film department. And my whole life begins in 1977 when I joined the RTF department at the University of Texas, to the point where a lot of people who are my partners today or who I work with regularly are all, we all met back then. So, I mean, what was, because, you know, it's it's such a, a dramatically different place now, but thinking about, you know, what do you think the the formula was back then for why it became such a great film town beyond, you know, the fact that you were bringing some people in? Um, what were some of the elements that existed there compared to, say, a place like Hollywood that were attractive? It, 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 it's it, it's almost a two part answer. The first part is, again, a lot of films are being programmed. Um, so you could see a lot of stuff that was, you know, people passionately cared about film. And you had a history of interesting directors. Eagle Pen- Toby Hooper did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Eagle Pinnell, who did whole shooting action last night at the Alamo. Most of whom did some films here and then went to Hollywood where either they flourished or they failed and came back to Texas. But that all changes in 91 when Rick Linklater does Slacker. And after Slacker stays in Austin, in 85, he starts the Austin Film Society because he wants to show films the way they were meant to be seen on the big screen. And he aggressively programs films. But then in 89, 90, they make Slacker. And 91 is when it really breaks in the festival circuit and everybody's talking about. And Rick could have easily moved to like L.A. or New York. But the fact that he stayed in Austin and that he stayed involved with the film side was the game changer. I mean, you can point at that. Um, we had started in 81, we had started the Chronicle. And so you had a, a weekly newspaper at that point that was very interested in support of a film and filmmaking as well as music. It was a very uh, Austin-centric publication. So that was one of the elements. And you had, of course, great film programming. You had the Austin Film Society and you had the RTF department at the University of Texas. But the real game changer is Rick Linklater's decision to stay here and to stay involved with the Austin Film Society and the Austin Film Scene. So I think one of the most formative parts of my youth was the scene in Dazed and Confused when, uh, you know, they're sitting at Top Notch and hanging out. And I that was the first moment when I thought I can't wait to be in high school when I was in <laughs> middle school, you know, um, you have just directed the very excellent documentary about Richard Linklater dream is destiny. Um, tell me about why you wanted to actually make this documentary. You know, I think Linklater is one of the most important directors working. And I think the fact that he's in Austin means he hasn't really gotten the respect he should have elsewhere. And the fact that I've known him since before as a filmmaker, certainly it's not familiarity breeds contempt because I was always, um, you know, I've always enjoyed his work considerably. But I think familiarity breeds uh, a lack of appreciation. And at a certain point, I stopped and realized if I didn't know Rick, I, he would be one of my all-time favorites and somebody I championed and talked about all all the time. And then Karen Bernstein, who had done American Masters in the past, came to me and said, let's do an American Masters on Rick. And I said, sure. And then that whole project began to actually come into focus and take shape. And then especially after Boyhood, Rick became viable as in a way he hadn't been viable before i mean that you know his career suddenly people were looking at his whole career and boyhood certainly put him on the map now the, the top-notch story the scene 
that they shot at the top notch is a fascinating story. And it's one of the things that we couldn't put in the documentary because it was too long. So it would have interrupted the flow of the film. But what happens at the, uh, there is we were talking to Trish Linkletter, his sister in L.A., and she said, you know, I had said to Rick that we should add, a, he should do more with the redheaded girl, Marisa Rubisi, um, because I really liked her. And then when we talked to Rick, Rick said, oh, you know, Trisha said we should do more with the redheaded girl. So I kind of worked up a scene with her. And then when Matthew was on Saturday Night Live in, as, in his introduction, he was talking about how the all right, all right, all right came about. And it's that scene. It was he had met Don Phillips, the casting director of Days and Fuse at the Four Seasons Bar, and they end up, you know, talking golf and getting drunk and getting thrown out of the bar. And Matthew was hired, and I think this character only had one or two lines. But instantly, and Rick has always said that when Matthew came on set, that's when that film came together, because Matthew's so completely nailing that character really brought it home. So they, um, so Rick was thinking, okay, I want to work up something with that, with, uh, the redheaded girl. And, and it was Matthew's first day on the set and he hadn't, wasn't supposed to have a lot of lines. And so together they worked up that extraordinary scene where, you know, Matthew pulls in with Rory Cochran in his car and she's in the car with the, uh, two guys, uh, Anthony Rapp and, uh, I can't remember the other one. Um, and they start flirting and talking. And I love that scene so much because it's so clear. It's, it, it transcends regionalism. It's about high school everywhere. And you have the hip guy who's kind of still stuck around at high school, even though he's graduated. And you have the earnest kids who work for the student newspaper and who are politicized. And watching them flirt is really about what that film was about, which is the coming together of generations. So that's how I'm not seeing to my mind is really important. And then, you know, and, and Matthew says, you know, I, I was thinking, it, you know, it's about cars and about weed and about girls. And there was one other thing I can't remember. She said, well, I got three of them. So it was like, all right, all right, all right. And so Matthew's, you know, the catchphrase that defines the film comes from that first night at Top Notch, which was not improv improvised because they, they worked it out. Or Rick almost always works that. But it was something they put together at the last minute, which I think captures the spirit of Rick and of indie filmmaking. Well, you know, I recently went to Top Notch, and they coincidentally were playing the soundtrack to Dazed and Confused. play it often. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thinking about, I mean, you started one of the most epic festivals <laughs> in the entire world. Did you, I mean, thinking about South by Southwest today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Versus the first kernel of thought that you had about it. I mean, what are your impressions of it now versus when you started it? Well, we had no idea. I mean, the reason it's called South by Southwest is we thought let's start a little regional music conference because there's all these people in the music business in a five-state area who've never met each other. It's before the internet, before cell phones, so they had talked on the phone or by fax, and we thought 
As you remind everybody in Austin, we weren't sure it was going to work. The first year we had 700 people and 200 bands, so we figured out it was going to work. And then it just kind of grew. And so in no way did I have any idea or even was I braced for what it's become. You know, 30 years later, uh, it's, a, you know, it's one of the largest events of its kind in the world. But what I think is still cool about it is that the two things that really defined it, one was it was Austin. It wasn't like if you go to Park City, Utah, that's a resort most of the year. It's a film festival for two weeks a year. You come to Austin any day of the year and what goes on during South by Southwest is going on. So one, it came out of the community. It was very organic. It was defined by our everyday life. So when before South by, we were doing the things we did at South by and after South by, we were doing the things we did at South by. But during South by, it certainly at a much more intense level and that just increased. And then the other thing was, you know, there was a real punk ethos. And uh, the whole idea of punk was there wasn't really much separation between who was on stage and who was in the audience except kind of geography, who happened to be on stage at that time. It didn't matter if you could play instruments or this or that. But punk was that we own the culture. The culture belonged to us. And on a much more gigantic scale, uh, internationally, now South by still those two things. The story flex Austin. It's still very organic to Austin. It still is what goes on in Austin all year round. And it's still very much about empowerment. It's very ideologically driven that, you know, we own the culture. The culture is not owned in New York or L.A. It's not manufactured in London or Berlin. The people own the culture and Sapphire enables that. So in a way, it's, you know, obviously I had no idea and I'm kind of stunned. On the other hand, at the core, the beliefs are still very much what they were. You really opened a can of amazing worms. <laughs> You've opened a number of cans of amazing worms. I mean, you know, it's kind of like I was just talking to a lot of journalists because more than usual, even because I had the film as well as South by, and they would, you know, and they said, well, look, you know, looking at um, the Republican candidates for president and kind of the political atmosphere of this country. And then you come to Austin where it's all about community and collaboration and cooperation. And you want to say, ha, ah, that's really not true. Let me pull back the curtains to see how ugly it is. But it's the reality. The reality is the young filmmakers are nurtured, are mentored by the older filmmakers. The older filmmakers work together. If somebody has a problem in the music community or the film community, the whole community will come together to help. You know, I mean, it's still a really remarkable place. And I was certainly part of that, but there were a lot of people who were part of it. And it's not just, you know, there's some of us who were kind of, you know, the movers and shakers. I started the Chronicle. I edited the Chronicle. I started South by, you know, I've, I've produced films. But the, one of the things that makes Austin remarkable is the audience. You know, the people who have, you know, jobs working for the state or working for Dell, uh, but then they go to the movies in the evening or they go to music in the evening and they're the most engaged, intelligent audiences. And so it, it would be a mistake to emphasize, you know, the creative engine. And I'm certainly part of that that drives the community would miss the fact that this is really a community and it succeeds not because there's a few people who have some vision, it's because the whole community cooperates and interacts. It's undeniable. I mean, even just looking at the food scene that's happening in Austin right now, there's so much change and there's so much new growth. And, you know, do you think that Austin continues to be a great mecca for creative minds? And if so, why? You know, I think I think it absolutely does. And I think, you know, people have been declaring the death of 
uh, Austin since the, the, usually the day after they arrived, they think it all went to hell. They should have closed the doors and not let anybody else in. But, you know, it's not like, you know, saying, oh, Austin's over. Austin's be so much better when is anything new. And Austin gets better and better and better. The quality of the filmmaking is extraordinary. This year at South by... You know some of the the the, the uh, winners of the both the the juried awards and the audience awards were, were were local films. And there's a film named called Power that Keith Maitland made that's going to break out over the next year. It's just going to blow minds, and it's a local film. Um, you know, Rick's Everyone Wants Some, which was shot locally, just opened to some rave reviews. You know, got a great review in New York Times and and other national reviews. And Rick had made it here. It's you know, people who say that it's over are missing, like when I came here, uh, at one point out on Anderson Lane, which at that point was out of town, the handy handy grocery there brought in a French baker to make pretty basic croissants. And Saturday morning, the whole town would go out there because they would buy croissants and, and baguettes because you couldn't get them anywhere else. You know, now... The food scene's amazing. There's an amazing food scene. There's, you know, an amazing film scene. There's an amazing music scene still. There's the gaming scene. There's the, you know, the the, the interactive, uh, the technology scene. And so, to my mind, Austin keeps getting better and better. It's not as easy as it was. It can no longer have a house with a band in it where two of the guys work two days a week as waiters and could support everybody. That doesn't happen. But the creative community, the dialogue that goes on, the audience that appreciates your work is extraordinary. Getting back to Linklater and this documentary, what do you want people to take away from it? When we were making it, I actually never thought about anybody, the public reaction, and I never thought about how people would read it, and I never even thought whether Rick would like it or not. What was really important was getting it to work for me. But the absolute pleasure of this film and kind of to my astonishment is if you would you know kind of push me what i would have said is i would love for people to watch this film and say i I should go make my film i should finish my film i should support my friend's film i should do it myself and that this shouldn't just be a celebration of this extraordinary filmmaker rick linkletter but it should be about this this incredible community that we live in that's so supportive and so cooperative and so enthusiastic and that it should say you know, um, f- filmmakers are not you know, foreign, you know, 18 feet tall people who live in L.A. They're you and me. And so go make your, your film. And I think I really um, the reaction has been that's what that film does, that, that our film inspired that kind of my film inspires people to go make their movie and to support the local filmmakers. And that's fantastic. Well, if you could give one piece of advice for new people moving to Austin, what would it be? You know, it's, I would give this advice to everybody. Do it. It's so easy to come up with excuses why you're not writing your book or writing your play or staging your play or making your movie or doing your art. It's so easy to say, you know, I've got to work a nine-to-five job and I'm too tired. It's so easy to get detoured. But just do it because the rewards of doing the work you want to do and the work you're passionate about and the work you care about are extraordinary. And, you know, and, and certainly like I'm like 
think from New Jersey. I mean, you know, my family didn't have prestige or money or anything. And what I've gotten to do has been wonderful. And mostly I got to do it because I said yes instead of no. So somebody said, let's start a page for sure. Let's throw a regional music conference. Why not? You know, let's make a movie about Rick Winkler. Sounds like a good idea. So by saying yes and doing it and taking constantly taking chances. We, I mean, we've failed an enormous amount. And I'm actually grateful that we failed so much because you learn so much more from failing than you do from succeeding. But my advice always is do it and then do it again and then do it again. And if it doesn't work out, do it again. And, and the reality is, uh, I think most successful creative people would give very similar advice. I feel like I should just hire you as my life coach. It's just really <laughs> good advice. <laughs> Um, I've been like so lucky that I, you know, really, I backed into all these things. You know, I got really lucky. Nobody, you know, at one point would have given the, the Chronicle away. Nobody would take it. And so I have really backed into all these things. And now I present them as kind of, you know, a philosophy of life. It isn't like I had any of this. Um, when I went into it, I just moved forward and, and wouldn't let anything stop me. And, and that's the, you know, the secret is to move forward. Well, I'll take it. Okay. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure, thank you for having me. All right, all right, all right. That wraps up our interview with the amazing Louis Black. Check out the trailer for his documentary, Richard Linklater, Dreams Destiny, at linklaterdoc.com. On the next episode of Munchies, the podcast, we're going to leave our fate up to chicken shit. So check back in two weeks for the latest installment. Until then, check out all of our delicious content at munchies.tv. Peep us at munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, too. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll catch y'all real soon. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.